the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 152. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of January 4th through January 17th. We have a total of three books to cover and a little bit of news, so let's jump straight into news. What have you got for me? The very first thing we have is on January 9th, it was revealed uh, via Comics Alliance that uh, the Absolute Batman Incorporated edition... Uh, has a number of new pages that are drawn by Chris Burnham. He redrew all of the pages he originally had to miss from the initial single issues when they were released. Um, Yannick Paquette even redrew two pages he didn't do in Batman Incorporated number three. Now, if you remember correctly, there was uh, a lot of stuff that, uh, a lot of fill-in stuff that happened during Batman Incorporated and I guess because they were releasing the Absolute Edition, they decided to have Burnham redo his art. I've looked over some of the pages. Uh, I haven't actually seen all of the art, uh, but I've seen some of the pages. And it's actually kind of interesting, some of the changes. I mean, it's, it, there's, it's not huge changes, I should say that. But there's definitely, if you, uh, on Comics Alliance, they had uh, some of the original sketches of what it should look like then what it w- was, and then what it turned into when uh, Burnham redrew it. So it's kind of interesting to to see, you know, kind of the process and how, you know, one artist's take on something is completely different than another one's. Um, but, you know, I, I suggest you check it out. Uh, obviously, Absolute Batman Incorporated. Uh, pick that up if you really want to see some of the, the difference. Uh, there's even a scene that includes a flashback uh that has uh, Batman taking off the old woman disguise and the flashback has him in his old, uh, you know, 1970s blue and gray bat suit. And it makes a lot more sense than the current Batman incorporated suit that he was wearing during the series. So a lot of really cool things changed. Uh, definitely check it out. All right. The other thing I've got as far as news, uh, this was on January 15th. Scott Snyder did a kind of a, impromptu Q&A session on Twitter, and uh, there's just a couple different questions that he answered that I thought were worth bringing up. Uh, the first one was, any big plans coming up for the Joker? Now, I'm not <laughs> sure who asked that question, but uh, Snyder responded, Endgame is very likely the last time I'll use him. So, I'm sure whatever he's planning in Endgame is, the, you know, it definitely is the Endgame for his use of Joker. Another one, what villain, villain, villainesses would you like to write in a Batman storyline? Uh, he responded, Selina and Ivy, but I do have a new one in mind too. And then there was another one, uh, any Two-Face stories coming up? So he responded, and this was one of the ones that I found really interesting. He said, I have a story for Harvey in mind. Depends on his availability. 
Now, if we remember correctly, Two-Face is supposedly dead, as that occurred in the pages of Batman and Robin. Um, but uh, it, I think it's interesting how he specifically said depends on his availability. Finally, the one that I found the most interesting, any plans for Super Damien in your books? No, 100% honesty. Damien is a character I have trouble writing. Wow. Well, that would explain why he's never really in any of Scott Snyder's stories, I guess. Not only does he, you know, not only did, does he not use him, but even back when, before Damien died, Batman Incorporated, and we saw the repercussions in Batman Robin, even before all that happened, we still did not see Damien really appear in the Batman title during the entire Court of Owls story, which I find extremely amusing, specifically because, uh, the, one of the upcoming DC animated films that's coming out is Batman vs. Robin, mm-hmm. and it's directly, not directly, I shouldn't say directly, it's, it's, it's taking a lot of things from Scott Snyder and Greg Rapullo's run of Batman on Court of Owls, and there's, they're involving Damien, so it's almost like they're rewriting the story that Snyder did to involve Damien in the story. Because Snyder didn't choose to use Damien at all. I think it's interesting because it also, you know, the fact that he says that, I wonder if he actually has a trouble writing a lot of the other supporting Bat family characters. Because, and that would explain why we barely ever see any of the other characters in his title. You know, other than just, you know, small little roles here and there. It would explain a lot as to why Batman is such a singular character when Snyder writes him. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we we've we haven't. I mean, the I guess the only time we really saw Damien at all was Death of the Family, but he was just pretty much a hostage. You know, I mean, there wasn't a lot of character development, so this would this would make sense. Um, and I would be curious to see what that. I am curious to see what that new Batman. I think it's actually called Batman versus Robin. Yeah, m- movie is going to be how they're going to keep it to about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, add Robin to it and keep that storyline. So yeah, it'll be interesting, but this certainly does make things explained a lot more clear. And the other interesting thing, of course, is Two-Face, because I wonder how long they'll keep him dead for. I mean, I don't think any of us think that we've ever actually seen the last of the character, so I am curious how long he'll be gone for. I think it's wonderful that he sort of fessed up and and said, uh, I guess it's not really fessing up, but just... I think it's something that is uncommon when a writer comes out and says that he or she has difficulty writing a particular character and a little late, I guess, but better late than never. And, and I'm glad that there's a, a reason why. So that, that was the thing that struck me most about that, that news story there. Yeah. Going back to the Two-Face thing, the, the thing that I have to wonder is, you know, when Two-Face, you know, air quotes died, they didn't even really bring it. It really wasn't like this big thing. They didn't really make a big deal. And I, I and it seems like they do that a lot with the Batman Robin title. I mean, outside of, well, there's no, I can't think of anything. There's nothing that they really <laughs> held secret or, you know, made a big deal about when it actually happens. You know, Damien returning, you know, they revealed it was going to be Damien before it actually happened in the book. You know, Two-Face died. They didn't really make a big deal about the fact that he, killed himself in the title. You know, we have a bunch of different things that have happened in Batman Robin. I mean, like, I guess in DC's mind, Batman Robin is not as high on their, you know, let's keep things a little bit more secretive or let's make things a much bigger deal than than Batman because Batman sells a lot more copies every month. But you would think 
because of these giant events and things that are occurring in the title, you would think that they would try to figure out a way to, you know, promote the book a little bit more by focusing on these large events and not ruining, you know, big reveals. But, you know, it is what it is. All right, so that is actually all the news. I mean, there's not that much. We're still in the, you know, the dog days of winter, and there tends not to be that much. I'm sure we'll have solicitations next time around. Let's get into our books, and our very first book is Detective Comics. Anarchy. You remember! And who's this? A new pet? Detective Comics, number 38, uh, Man and Pool and Buccioletto Storytellers. Um, this issue opens up at the scene of the detonation of the bomb at Wayne Enterprises from uh, number 37. Uh, Batman disperses some type of chemical through the sprinkler system to render the explosion inert, basically, and then has to put another chemical in to make sure he doesn't suffocate all the people in the building from the first chemical. Um, we are then kind of shown the uh, the speech that Anarchy is delivering to all of Gotham. Looks like via television, or via radio, via everything. Um, he has wiped out all the digital footprints of everyone in the city. So credit, public records, police records, it's all gone. Um, and he has had a blank mass delivered to every door in Gotham and tells the residents that they now have the chance to be anyone in, in anything that they want to be. Uh, we then see Congressman Sam Young being interviewed on TV about the anarchy situation. Um, and he's the same character from the Icarus arc. Um, and Harvey tries to press him for some answers about Lester, who is the Wayne Enterprise employee that was killed in the last issue, the start of the last issue. He then shows him some pictures of the children he found in Lester's desk, and Young is at least able to tell him that these are the pictures that are taken of children when they are taken in by, by Children's Protective Services. Um, downtown, we see old Matches Malone talking to Money Spider, who seems to be retired from his life of cybercrime and is one of the people that has actually attempted to put Anarchy's fresh start to, uh, to good use. He says that he sold all of his backdoor cypher keys to Lester, um, right before he uh, retired. Uh, we then see that Alfred calls and shows Batman that the faces of the dead children found from last issue have been almost all totally reconstructed, and Batman heads off to see Mad Hatter in his cell, questions him about the dead children, but he denies it and just continues his kind of rant about you know, Al the Alice rant, kind of typical Mad Hatter rant we got there. All of this is interrupted by a robbery at a bank, uh, but the guys that are, that are at the bank take some hostages. Um, Batman intercedes, and, and, and a kind of typical chase scene breaks out. Um, as Batman is chasing down one of the robbers on foot, Bullock's partner, Yip, takes a shot, but at the last second, Money Spider, the kid we saw before Life of Crime, steps forward out of an alley, and he is accidentally shot. Um, some people in the crowd seem to think Batman is the one who did it, but we, we see that it is Yip. Uh, to be continued. Alright, guys, I guess there's two things I really wanted to cover here, and, and the first one was, although last issue was the introduction to you know, that Anarchy was back, uh, the character, this is the first time we see his, his new 52, I guess, version of his costume, which is dramatically different from the red flowing robes of the past. Just wondering what you guys thought about his costume. Honestly, I thought the costume was fine. I mean, I, I think it needed to be updated. I mean, you know, Anarchy's original costume, you know, stemmed from late 80s, early 90s. And I think, you know, the new version, it makes more sense. It's a little bit more in, in line with what you would expect an anarchist to be nowadays. You know, it's very social when you, like, socially relevant when you think about it. And I think we talked about this last time, but it's very socially revel relevant with the, with the fact that we have, uh, you know, an actual, a bunch of hacker groups out there nowadays, anonymous and things like that. 
And I, I think this character works perfectly. And I think his costume makes complete sense for what this, you know, for right now, the publication time period of when the book's being released. I also think it, it's really reminiscent of just urban warfare. I think we've sort of stepped up what he's doing. I, I guess it, it's still sort of the same old shtick um, in essence, but I feel like with everything else that's going on in Batman's life, that anarchy really is going to be stepping up the ante. And I just think it's it's a, a good representation of what's going on with Eternal and, and everything else, though. Who knows when this is taking place? But I think it's actually really catching. Uh, the gold mask is... Uh, slightly reminiscent of Nightfall in Batgirl, but that doesn't, um, dissuade me from liking it at all. And, and I just think that the red A and, and the, the green jacket and then the, I mean, he's ready to go to work because to a certain extent, the original anarchy, I think he was, he was intimidating and, and very interesting design, but you know, how well can you really fight in that? But this guy, he's ready to go. He's like the Casey Jones anarchy. Yeah, I really liked it too. Um, I don't think that the flowing red robes, you know, the, the eyes wide shut look would look real good in, uh, <laughs> you know, in modern comics, but, uh, I would bet you dollars to pesos that Bucciolato and Manipul at some point will find a way to put him in a red robe <laughs> for some, just because they seem to like to throw those out there. But yeah, I think the costume here is, is, is also very representative of, of the type of character we're going to get. Um, and I liked it a lot. And I guess the, the only, the, the second point is we see his plan here, which is he wipes all the data from the computers, and we see a couple type of reactions. We see the money spider kid who decides he's going to take this as a fresh start, and then we see a group of people rob a bank because, hey, you know, cash is king now, so we let's go rob somebody. I guess my question is what do you feel like if this kind of event was to happen on a city the size of Gotham City, so you're talking a New York or for Dustin maybe Chicago, um, how do you think people would react? And do you think the reactions we see here are realistic of what we would see in, in a real world setting? I honestly feel like there would be some criminals that would want to, you know, use the opportunity to have a fresh start, have a clean slate and, you know, make a turn for the good. I don't, however, see a lot of people who are, you know, good people were outstanding citizens. You know, I don't see them turning to the life of crime because y- you have a clean slate. I get it. But why would you want to then go commit crime? Because you're not putting yourself in position. Honestly, the clean slate thing benefits more so criminals than it does, you know, normal citizens. Because the reality, I mean, like the normal citizens, they, they get their debt wiped, so they wouldn't need money anyway. You know, I mean, yes, obviously money in general is, 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 is great to have. I mean, nobody's going to deny that. But the reality of it is, if I, okay, for example, if this exact same situation happened here, where I live, I don't know that I would just, you know, I'd be happy about the fact that my debt's gone, but I don't know that I would sit there and decide, hey, this is a perfect opportunity to become a criminal and go, you know, steal a bunch of money. Now, the criminal, on the other hand, like the show with Money Spider, how he wants to have a clean start, it makes complete sense because there are people who would look at it as, you know, the system, the way it is and the way it, you know, it's designed is once you do something bad, you're pretty much screwed. So you can, you you have to spend a lot of time trying to make it right because of the mistake that you made. So there are plenty of people who would look at this as an opportunity to, you know, have a fresh start. And I think that's what he's doing, Money Spider. And I think that, you know, I think a lot, I think that would be more of what would happen. There'd be plenty of people 
who are normal citizens, who don't care about the clean slate, who would benefit from, you know, the wiping out of debt and things like that. But I don't see them, you know, becoming criminals like they show here. I I agree with you. I, I think that the majority of people are going to look at this as a fresh new start and, and start over. However, I think the people who are criminals and the worst of them, I mean, that's in their nature to a yeah. certain extent. And I don't think you're necessarily going to change that nature. And the fact that he erased police records, DMVs, that means that if, if some of these criminals were already had one or two strikes where those might be minor felonies or something like that and they go away for a couple of years, that third strike is really the one that sends you away for a long time. If the strikes are wiped out, their fingerprints are wiped out, then they have an easier access at stealing things. And if they get busted, well, that could potentially be their first strike because, hey, you know, it's not on file anymore or they have a lot of a leeway to to get away because, I mean, fingerprints, well, there's nothing on file. It's not going to match any files or anything. Um, I, I do wonder what it means that the bank accounts and are also, what, what does that mean that that is erased? Does that mean that anyone, so, you know, if I had $100,000 in my bank account, is my name suddenly taken off of that and then there's just $150,000 floating around? I didn't understand what that meant exactly. Your math is odd. What? You Wait, what did I say? You said if I had a hundred thousand dollars in the bank account and the, my name got taken off the account, yeah. would there be a hundred and fifty thousand dollars floating Sorry. around? Interest, Sorry. man. Come on. That's a lot of interest. 000? I want a bank account like that. No joke. Well, it said that he erased all the digital No, no, I'm not arguing about oh, okay. that. You said you initially yeah, said yeah, 100,000, yeah. then you changed it to 150. Okay, I apologize for <laughs> increasing my fictional bank account. So, where, where is that $100,000 then? I'm assuming Anarchy has it sitting in some sort of account. I did, I, I guess I didn't really think about that because he does say in, in, in the issue, he does say, you know, everybody's at the same level. Even Bruce Wayne. So that means Bruce Wayne has no money either. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, we don't know when this is taking place, but Bruce Wayne already doesn't have, doesn't any, have money. any money. Yeah, so, he's already, so he's yeah, already yeah. broke. So that, uh, that doesn't, I have no idea what that means. The one thing I don't recall, refresh my memory, but did they actually say that those people who are robbing the bank were, you know, not criminals? That they were normal citizens that just decided to become criminals? I, I think I, – I mean, I don't think he spells it out, but I think that he is trying to make us walk down that alley. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think he's trying to make us think – I mean, that's you know, my, I don't, that's yeah, my I don't thought. Think he explicit, I don't think he explicitly states it, but I think that it is supposed to make us feel that they are. Because I think that what he was trying to do is show us that a, a, a bad guy, quote-unquote bad guy, went good and a quote-unquote good yeah. guy went bad. I think that's what he was trying to show. And that's what I felt like they were trying to do. I just don't think it was spelled out like you said – yeah, but they're so, it, it seems like they've done it before. I mean, knowing that he's saying we gotta get out of here once the snipers are in position, well, how would they know that? Unless well, by position, or... You don't have experience. to be a criminal to know kind of, know the stuff The snipers like that. are gonna come out? Oh, please. You, come on, you could watch, I've, I've watched plenty of crime movies. You, <laughs> you, you know when you gotta get out. You got a certain time frame, you gotta get sure, out of the bank. Sure. Yeah, but I haven't robbed a bank in years, and I know that. <laughs> well, Ed. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that this is, uh, and I think that the money thing is kind of interesting too, because what I, when it said everyone has the same amount, my thought was, and they don't spell this out, but maybe we'll find out either the money's in a central fund somewhere, or you could, I mean, if you took, 
1.3 million people's bank accounts. You emptied all the money into a joint, into, into a single account and then divide it by 101.2 million and send it back out. Everyone have the same amount of money. Um, I don't know if he went that far. Uh, but no, it's, well, I mean, it's, but that's entirely possible though, because when you think about it, he doesn't seem like he would need the money. So yeah, it's I don't not, think it, would, like there's plenty of, there's plenty of villains and criminals who would want the money for themselves. He doesn't come across as that kind of character. No, I think he comes across as trying to, to, to even the playing field. You yeah. know, um, I, I think that that's, that's the point. Cause you think about it, where this would really hurt people would only be the well off or, you know, those career people, middle class people, because we have investments, we have savings, we have, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. your 401k goes up in smoke, you know? I mean, that doesn't affect the guy who doesn't have one. So, I think he's trying to level, I don't think he's trying to, you know, rob from someone per se. I think in his mind, he's trying to make everyone eat. Um, so I, I would, I, and I'm sure knowing, knowing that the, the people writing this, writing detective, will find out in more detail, um, what's going on because we've still got a couple chapters of the story left but no I, I did think it was it was interesting here how how you kind of have the good the good guys go bad the bad guys go good um but overall i thought this was a fairly a fairly good representation because i don't think everyone who's ever committed a crime is a terrible person um and i think that that's what they're trying to show here with the money spider guys that he actually takes the opportunity to uh to change and he, he was seen to be some type of of cyber criminal not a not a, a psychopath or, a, you know, someone committing violent crimes. Um, so, but no, overall, I just thought it was interesting to see this kind of play out. And I think it is pretty truthful to what would, would happen in real life. Some people would get do good, would do good things and some people would do bad things. There's one other thing that I want to just bring up because I, I don't think we talked about this the last two issues. Anarchy as a character. Um, we, you know, the original character was Lonnie Mackin, and they show that character here as Money Spider. Now, at the beginning of, I can't, I, I don't even, it wasn't the New 52, it was right before the New 52, he, Lonnie Mackin took that role of Money Spider, he was basically the oracle for Red Robin in the pages of Red Robin, um, but, there was another anarchy that appeared in the Batman Zero crossover event, uh, the one that focused on, it was, uh, Green Lantern Corps, uh, number 25. And there was an anarchy character, a character that was named Anarchy, um, but it was said that this character that is appearing now in Detective Comics is not the same version. It's a different version. Now, I guess my question is, knowing that, that obviously New 52 can wipe a lot of stuff out and change things and we can make things different, do we, do we have any, do you guys feel like Lonnie Mack and Money Spider, as we're being shown here in the book, is in fact this new anarchy in Detective Comics, or do you feel like he's just a character and he's being thrown in there because he originally was? I think that anarchy, is, I mean, I mean, it, I think it could go either way, but I think that this is a new version of anarchy. I agree with that and think that it's a, just a newer version of anarchy. I think, I think the Money Spider part is, uh, the way that Bouchelotto Manipulva tendency to give that nod to prior continuity, you know? And I, and I agree. I think that was the, that, I think that what it was, what it was, because honestly, when I, when I first started reading, I was like, this is Lonnie Mack and he's calling a money spider. Huh. Anybody who's, you know, just been reading since the beginning of the New 52 would have no idea who the heck this character is. No idea because he's never really, he's never appeared in any books since pre New 52. So, I thought it was interesting that they even did that, but then, you know, Batman's sitting there saying, well, you're the only person who can do this kind of stuff, and blah, blah, blah. You're the only person who's ever been able to do it before. And I really thought, like, 
okay, they're setting this guy up and then, you know, he gets shot at the end of the issue. And I feel like it was almost too convenient for him to get shot after just appearing and being told that this is the character who could in fact be the person who's doing this stuff. So I'm going to say that I think it's, it is him, but you're a contrarian. Yeah. I am. All right. So detective comics, Number 38, I am going to give this one a total of four out of five batteries. I am also going to give it four out of five, and there is a ton of little Easter eggs in here to Lonnie Mac, which which my, my man here just said. And also, there's a lot of V for Vendetta nods uh, in, in this issue. It's excellent. And I'm going to also say four out of five. And over on the website, Joseph gave it four and a half, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 38 a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 40, script by Ray Fox, art by David Ferrino and Polo Armitano, as always I say those wrong. Nailed it. Anyway, uh, we we start the issue at Miller Mountain uh, underneath the avalanche. We see uh, Julia Pennyworth trying to get a hold of Batman. He's stuck under the snow. He says, I'm going to get out. I'm going to find the Riddler. He set off the avalanche. Uh, meanwhile, at Gotham City, we see all the villains loving all of the tech that they have just been handed. And uh, Selina says, listen, uh, you're never going to make it without me. If you joined me, you could, you know, we could we could take the entire eastern seaborne. And uh, she says, no, it's not my style. That's not what I want to do. This is This is ridiculous. And she gets in her car, and Firefly decides, well, she's not with us. She's against us. Shoots the car and blows it up. Uh, meanwhile, at the mountain, Batman finds Riddler and pulls him out and says, you're going back to Gotham with me. He goes, I don't want to go back. Uh, we will all die there if we go back. At the offices of the Gotham Gazette, we see the gunshots that Patrick, the intern, shot at Vicky. She dived out of the way, and uh, as he comes close to her, she, she sprays him with some pepper spray and takes the gun and says, uh, you're not a cop, you're nobody, I don't know who you are. But uh, it's all starting to come together. And uh, she calls the uh, ambulance because uh, Warren's not dead yet. Uh, meanwhile, back on the mountain, as they're sitting there waiting for the... Uh, as Batman and Riddler are sitting there, the, some snow plop, you know, uh, falls apart again. And they fall into a hole. Riddler starts crawling away. Batman, in turn, decides he's going to hit a remote on his his gauntlet, and the Batwing emerges from underneath the snow, and Riddler's standing on top of it. Uh, meanwhile, uh, back at the with all of the villains, the villains are talking about how this is great. Uh, Scarecrow says, I, you know, I, I can't say I'm, you know, too keen on what you did to to Catwoman, but uh, I, I respect your results. Signalman says, you know, do you see a body? Don't assume anything because there's no body here. Um, then Mr. Freeze makes a comment to him and says, maybe you're, you're smarter than you look. Maybe you shouldn't be with all those losers. Uh, we then see Clayface turn into Batman, uh, you know, morphing himself into Batman. And we see this, that Selina is not dead. She goes out to a car outside the building where Killer Croc meets her and, uh, Killer, Killer Croc says, how bad? And she goes, as bad as it can be. They see the Batwing flying over t- overhead. Killer Croc says the Bat can handle them. And he says, yeah, if that is, it, Selina says, yeah, if that is him. Meanwhile, she gets in the car. She calls one of her lieutenants and says, 
I want to know if there's any hits out on anybody in Gotham right now. Look for something that looks unusual. He tells her about uh, a girl, a teenage girl who is an internet blab. There's a hundred million dollars for her, a bounty on her head. Um, she goes, well, that's the person that I need to find. That's the one I want. She says she'll handle it herself at the Gotham Gazette. We see uh, we see Vicky Vale getting into the ambulance with Warren when the Batwing flies overhead and some sort of explosion goes off, uh, and Vicky, you know, gets out, uh, gets into the ambulance. Uh, we then see uh, Jim Corrigan pop out of a sewer pipe. He's got the body of Maxie Zeus. He does a little bit of Spectre magic on him to make sure that he's got no more Deacon Blackfire inside of him, and uh, he happens to see this explosion that happens as well. Uh, then at the last moment, we see a bunch of teenagers with glowing eyes, and next up, Teenage Wasteland. Alright, so, Batman Eternal number 40. So, this was, uh, I mean, there was a couple different things here. Uh, I mean, honestly, this felt like a continuation of the last issue, and there wasn't a whole lot of new points that were made. It was kind of like, we're trying to wrap things up that were happening in the last issue, but... There's not any real wrap-up because it's just the same stuff that we saw in the last issue. Uh, we see, the, the I guess the one thing I want to talk about uh, is the Selena Kyle getting killed by Firefly. How real do you think it would be that Selena would actually allow herself to be killed? I mean, obviously she wasn't killed, but I mean, like, or I guess what I mean is Firefly, of all people, is the one who decides that she's the one, she has to die because she's not joining up with them. Why is it Firefly? Do you think it's believable or not? Well, did it, is it believable that Firefly is the one who figures out uh, figures out that she's not dead? No, no. The, the Firefly, uh, you know, decides the, he needs to kill her. Oh, okay. So I was like, you lost me for a second. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I think that with all the quote unquote heavy hitters in the room, he might be the last guy that's left to make a decision. Um. But he, he seems to take it on himself to, to do so. Of course, we see that she's not dead, so I, I don't think we have to go down the road of, of did he outthink her. Um, but it does seem pretty bold for him, the one to, with the talent, for lack of a better term, that's in the room, that he's the one that decides to pull the trigger here without seemingly consulting with anybody else. Well, I think some of the people thought that she wasn't worth it anyways, um, and even though she was talking about her grand schemes and, and what she has accomplished so far and her plans that could potentially involve them. I think to a certain extent they are under the the mindset potentially of, you know, this is a woman. I mean, does she really think we're going to believe this? However, there are the other people that I think already know what she's capable of, like uh, Mr. Freeze, who said, I wouldn't do whatever you're planning on doing. Uh, I don't know if what, Dustin, if what you're thinking is that Firefly is on Catwoman's side, and so this was all an elaborate ploy. I don't know if that was what you were asking, which would be, well, that'd be interesting, certainly. But it would also be difficult because how did she ever get in contact with him? If I think back to Batgirl Year One, we always saw that Garfield Lenz had this sort of um, erotic desire of women with fire. And you never know if like psychopaths like that just really hate women to a certain extent and then have this other thing and they add them together. And so who knows if it's just, hey, there's one right there. It's been a while. I'm going to, you know, shoot right there. Uh, in the back of my mind, I wondered, huh, 
what if Catwoman is actually the uh, the big, big bat, like in charge of everything? And this was an elaborate setup. And, you know, she got rid of herself to to uh, get rid of any suspicion. But I thought that'd be a little too much potentially for this story. But I think it's just something that happens. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if it, if it does go deeper. I think it, it, it was just a last-minute decision. He probably wasn't thinking the best that he could be. And like I said, he does have these strange desires. So, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't linking it to be, you know, Firefly with, you know, was on Selena's side. Oh, okay. That's how it was working. But, but at the same point, I guess my thought was of all of these people that are in that room, Firefly seems like the least likely, not, not necessarily the least likely, but not as the most likely to just decide, Selena, you're not going to be with us. We're going to off you. So I just thought that was slightly odd that, and then the fact that everyone's just like, huh. Like Scarecrow is just like chimes in and is like, Hey, you know, uh, I, you know, I can, I, I can appreciate that the fact that you have results. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, like, okay, I guess there was one way to step up and, you know, make yourself a little bit bigger, you know, make yourself a little bit more of a threat by trying to show all these other villains who are much higher, higher scale than you, then that, uh, you, you have the ability to do this. But, um, another real quick, this is a sm- small, minuscule thing. Uh, we see that uh, Vicky says that Warren's not dead. Now, in some ways, when we saw him get shot at the end of the last issue, it almost felt like it was impossible for him to die because we know that he's still alive during Endgame. Now, this is what happens when you have a story that's taking place in the future. You're, you're bound to have sl- small things revealed. Now, obviously, Warren's not a huge character. I mean, he's not even really a, a minor character. He's a minuscule character in the, in the grand scheme of everything going on. So it's not really that big of a deal. But if we remember in the Batman annual that just ha- uh, released last month, he was shown going to uh, Arkham Asylum or Arkham Manor and and uh, look in trying to convince his friend who was being you know taunted by the Joker all those years. He was trying to convince his friend to check himself out of Arkham Asylum and go with him and leave Gotham because Gotham had gotten crazy because of everything that's happening with the Joker. So the fact that he was alive in that issue meant that there was not a whole lot of opportunities for him to actually die in this issue. So I thought that was interesting. The the other thing that I kind of wanted to discuss is we see Selena say that she's going to go after Stephanie Brown. This is obviously setting up what we know is to come with... uh, Within, within the lead up to that, uh, Batman number 28 issue where it takes place, I believe they said right after issue 42 or at 40, after 40, I think it's after 42, but it's taking place and she's obviously going after Stephanie Brown. The question is, she, the way they worded it, she says, but somebody knows what's going on. Somebody has some, some idea of what's going on and somehow she automatically links someone with a giant bounty on her head who's a blab on the internet to this is the person who knows everything. Do you think that's likely or do you think it's far-fetched? I think that if it was just the fact that she was an internet blab, it would be far-fetched, but it's the fact that someone's trying to pay $100 million to kill her. I think that that's that's the obvious thing for her because there isn't any – now, again, I don't know what the going rate is for killing people in the DC universe these days, but – a hundred million dollars seems extreme yeah. for for anybody. Um, I mean, up to including the president of the United States of America. Um, 
I, I think that's what she sees is the fact, and I think you almost said that the fact that someone who is just a quote unquote internet blab is trying to be, has a contract out on her for a hundred million dollars. You know, I think it's the disparity that these two, A and B don't add up to C in this case. And I think that that's what Selena sees and is why she, you know, targets or, or starts narrowing it down and realizing that this is the person that she needs to find. I do. The only thing I, because I totally agree with that, but the only thing that was hard for me to reconcile with is the fact that Selena thought that this would be the way to find something that was weird that was going on. And I guess she, I, I just don't understand the connection. Like she leaves all of this and perhaps in her mind thinking that there's some big plan going on. Is there something else I can find? But to think that radio chatter would lead her to make a connection between Steph Brown and, well, this girl, right, that we don't know about. And this plan that she just got exploded from. That's the only thing that I don't see. Here, here's my thing, okay? It has been shown throughout the entire series that all these villains that are, have, you know, gotten their little invitation saying take place, take part of the dismantling of Gotham. It happens in two weeks or whatever. Each one has their own part. We've seen hardly any of them kind of coexist. They all just have their own part leading to this grand giant scheme, you know, that's, you know, at the, the, you know, the main master behind everything. My question is, why would whoever's in, like, obviously whoever's in charge, because it's not, it's not Hush who has the bounty on him, Stephanie, if Hush is, you know, indisposed, locked up in the Batcave currently. So who is it who has this bounty? It must be the big bad. I mean, that's what we would assume. If it is the big bad, why would he be so concerned with her death if her part that she knows was the part that already occurred with Cluemaster and his gang of misfits. See, that was the thing that I was wondering, was besides the fact that the I understood Catwoman understanding why the $100 million was weird, but that's the question that I honestly don't have an answer to. Why is Stephanie worth $100 million? I mean, like you said, their part is up. Uh, I can certainly understand why her dad is trying to kill her. That makes sense to me. But why the, the big bad wants to kill her for a hundred million dollars? I I don't. Yeah, I, I I can't give you an answer because I really don't have one. I'm assuming that this is is the reason why. I'm, I'm assuming the reason I don't have one is because at this point in the narrative, I'm not supposed to. But to be honest with you, that whole aspect of the story is kind of a huh moment for me. One could only assume that she has some piece of knowledge that is, or maybe she knows who the big bad is. I mean, we haven't. The one thing is we haven't seen Stephanie's day-to-day movements in Eternal. Think about it. There's been, it's true. There's been five to ten to fifteen issues at a time where we haven't seen her. So maybe along the way she has come up with the information which is vital. Maybe she does know who the big bad is. Um, but in, unless there's a reveal like that forthcoming, if, if they're just trying to kill her for the original reason, then yeah, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all. Could it be a trap of some sort? Like he's deliberately leading someone, perhaps Batman. Because perhaps he thought he wasn't thinking about what big bad person, right? He wasn't thinking about Catwoman, but maybe if this, you know, Stephanie Brown gets enough chatter and all of this that he will attract the attention of Batman. So do you think it's a deliberate trap that it's just so outlandish 
And of course, she doesn't have much knowledge. I mean, she saw something, but really not that much. Yeah, there's a gap, but really, she's been going around and blogging. So I don't really know how much she's seen. Uh, so do you think it's possible it's a trap? I don't, I don't, see, I don't know that it would be a trap because I don't know what, what the point of it would be. Like, unless she's somehow involved in it too, when she's going to turn out to be somebody bad. Oh no. But I don't feel like that's the case at all. Not the way they're going. So, I mean, like she has only, she was only privy to whatever Cluemaster and his misfits were doing. That's what she was privy to. As we've seen, that's already happened. They were already caught, locked up, and now they're back on the loose, but that already happened. So the fact that there's still this giant bounty on her head leads me to believe that we're supposed to believe that she knows the giant plan. You know, the big, huge plan. Because even in Batman 28, when Batman comes into the the place where Selena's at, and Selena says, you know, this is the person who knows everything, and she, uh, this is the key to, you know, unlocking the truth behind everything that's been going on, she opens up the vault, and it's Stephanie Brown. So, so we're again led to believe that she knows what is, you know, what is actually going on. But as it's played out in Eternal, we have not seen her be privy to anything except for whatever Cluemaster was. And I guarantee you, whoever the big bad is did not go to Cluemaster and tell him their entire plan. If Falcone didn't know the plan, if Hush didn't know the plan, it just, it, it's not likely. So, I mean, like, I feel like there, there, there's a giant gap here. But again, like you said, Ed, it could be something with just the narrative and we're not supposed to know what it is yet. But but isn't it like – I get the frustration because I, I kind of felt the same thing too with Stephanie is if she did have this moment where she found – even if they didn't show the – you know, her seeing who the person is, shouldn't – I mean, her learning all this off-panel would be kind of a cop-out, right? Yeah, it would, especially at this point. I mean, like, we're 40-something issues in. I mean, if the, if she had to learn it all off-panel, I mean, I get it because, honestly, there's not a whole lot of things that we could they could show without revealing it. You know, there's, you know, they've showed her at the library, but that was only for, like, a couple hours. You know, she was doing some stuff on her phone. Again, not that long of a time period. Man, we don't know how long all of this is actually taking place over other than just a couple weeks in, in you know, comic book timeline, but it's impossible that with what we've seen, she has figured it all out. I mean, I just feel like it's impossible. Especially if the Court of Owls is somehow behind a lot of this because it's it's, it's been hinted at that they're still to come. How she would even know anything about the Court of Owls since nobody knows anything about the Court of Owls. And, and the other thing, too, is in a story like Eternal, this I am always open to you have four issues to tell a story some things happen to happen off panel because you don't have the page count right right? but we've had 40 something issues like you can't have the excuse of not telling me or showing me something that's important when you have that many pages you know so and we'll just leave it at that because obviously like you said it's it's there's still a possibility that's just something that we're going to see and it hasn't happened yet but all right so batman eternal number 40 i'm going to give this one a total of three and a half out of five Three out of five for me. To be honest, I liked this issue, so I'm going to give it a four out of five. All right, and over on the website, Ryan gave it four, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 40 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next and last book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 41. 
Script by Kyle Higgins, art by Joe Kionis. Uh, the issue starts off with, uh, a bunch of the teenagers with the glowing eyes, uh, stopping a delivery truck and basically knocking out the delivery truck drivers so that they could, you know, steal some equipment out of the truck. We see Red Robin and Harper Row on the rooftop trying to figure out where they're going. They figure out they're going to a warehouse. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side of town, we see Stephanie Brown talking about how she would really like to sleep in a comfy bed and have a real shower or a bath. And somebody, I don't know who this is, but somebody approaches her and throws a uh, one of those bola things at her and ties her up uh, to try, try to tie her up. It, she, he misses and she goes at him. She, and this guy knocks her out. Uh, he says that he was hired by somebody to protect her, not to kill her. And, uh, meanwhile, on the other side of town, we see Red Robin and Harper O are now joined by Batgirl. Uh, very, very, uh, disgruntled Batgirl because every panel that she's shown in, she looks upset and ticked off. Uh, she's in her new, uh, suit that we've seen in the pages of Batgirl, which also is a continuity problem I'll talk about later. Uh, but she's there and she, as well as Red Hood, and they're talking about how they need to go into this warehouse and they need to be, they need to try to figure out who's behind this nano stuff that's happening that's controlling all of these children. And they need to do it without hurting the children because, or the teenagers, because they can't control what they're doing. So they break in, uh, turns out Mad Hatter's behind this. Um, at least that's what he's saying. And he is having them build a giant, like an antenna type thing or an uplink so that, uh, he can control them from even further away. Uh, and that's why they were stealing all the equipment and things like that. Um, then what ends up happening is he turns on the uplink and instantaneously the nanobots are already in the air. So they've already entered the brains of Red Hood, Batgirl, and Red Robin. So they, by the end of the issue, are all controlled by the uh, Nano. And Harper Rowe is uh, pretty upset about this and decides that she has no choice but to put on a mask, even though Red Robin said it's not a good idea because once you do it, there's no turning back. Uh, she puts on her mask, and the last page, it's revealed her Bluebird costume. That may turn number 41. Uh, this was it, completely not following the timeline of what happened in the last issue. I mean, last issue, he's had a bunch of stuff happening, and this basically, other than the, the one thing with Stephanie Brown and the guy coming to get her for Catwoman, there's nothing that happens that picks up from what we saw in the last issue. Um, a couple of different things I want to talk about. Uh, the first one is... We had, we've seen Red Robin, you know, working with Harper Row for quite some time. It also tends to happen a lot, not in the book, because they, he, they, they showed that he was trying to train her, that they were working together, but we haven't seen that much of it. She has now decided that because the three of them, Red Hood, Red Robin, and Batgirl are all taken over by the Nano, she's decided that she has to, you know, somehow stop all of this. If the three of them got taken out, uh, what does she think she can really do? Well, she must be very confident herself. Um, I don't know. I, I suppose when you see something like this, I, I, I think it's a desperation play. Maybe. 
more than anything else, you know? Uh, she knows that they've been taken captive. Now, she does seem to have superior technological skills, which is, please, no one pre-New 52 start laughing. I understand the joke that Harper Rowe has superior technology skills and Batgirl is kind of ridiculous, but as the works are being presented to us today, she has superior tech skills. Um, so I'm assuming she's going to rely on her technical knowledge uh, because as a physical force, she definitely wouldn't add up to the group that's that's kind of presented in front of her. Um, so I can only assume this is a desperation play for her, uh, which we've seen characters do desperate things before, uh, but that's the only way that this would make, make sense to me. Yeah, I think that because she's had so much experience with these these nanobots here and because of, you know, being with her brother all that time, that she's learned something. And we do know that she is capable, at least intellectually. So I feel like there is something up her sleeve because there is desperation in this and she doesn't have the physical prowess that the other members of the Bat family do. Uh, if we're including her in that family now, then I think that could potentially explain why she uses a weapon, um, which we saw, of course, in Batman 30, was it? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little... <laughs> when you think about it, we have these wonderful sidekicks uh, to Batman that, you know, grew up and learned and fought beside him, and they are taken out, and then we've got this person who's really done no field work whatsoever, and has almost been a thorn in Batman's side. How ironic that she could potentially be the person to save the day, but I do think that, and I'm hopeful that the the writers make it believable and it's not like this desperate attempt and it falls flat or it just comes out of nowhere. I think there's got to be some reason to it and she's got to have a reasonable victory. Okay. Um... (laughs) You and your favorite character, Beth. Oh, man. Here's my thing. Yeah. To me, this comes across as, I, I, I like the way you put it, Ed, where, it, you know, it's coming across as a desperation thing. You know, sh- there's no other options. Batman's occupied with the Riddler, even though we saw at the end of the last issue he was flying back into Gotham. But he is occupied with the Riddler, so he's not there to help out with this situation. The three of them go in. They're taken out. Harper Rowe is going to be the one who needs to save the day. I understand that she does have the the, the technological skills and that was pointed out multiple times during the run on Batman Eternal. When they went and visited the guy in, in, I think it was Japan, he said that she's really skilled. She was hacking into stuff that he thought was, 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 uh, you know, very advanced and things like that. That's great. It doesn't explain how, you know, when they all got inside of the building, the nanobots already were in their head. He hit the button, the uplink happened. I don't see how she's going to be able to stop it considering all of the other teenagers who already had their nanobots were still being controlled before this uplink was even existent. So even if she turns the uplink off, they can still be controlled. I can't see why, if they are going to use her technological skills to somehow solve this, I don't know why she would have to put on her mask and a costume and then, you know, go to fight. Or we don't know exactly what she's doing. We also know that She's going to be breaking into Catwoman's place in a couple issues based off of Batman 28. But I don't understand how putting on the mask and the costume is going to help if her skill set is the technological stuff. That's the stuff where you don't have to be in a place to do it. She could shut down the power grid that would fuel the power to the uplink 
or however he's controlling it, figuring out something like that. Um, I'll just leave it at that, uh, you know, I, because again, we have no idea what she's going to do. So I don't want to hypothesize too much and, you know, get myself worked up into a tizzy, but, uh, kind of in line with this, Mad Hatter, Mad Hatter is revealed as he's the one behind these nanobots. Is that believable at all? No. Because we already, they already showed that these nanobots were extremely advanced technology. You know, they went to Japan, uh, Red Robin, Harper Row, they went to Japan to see the Sergio guy. He's like, oh, wow, this is stuff that I haven't seen in a while. It's really advanced. How did, it, of all people, Mad Hatter get control of this stuff? Well, I think you just may have hit upon it right there. Right. And I know, and most likely it's, he got another invitation and he was, this was his part of the thing. I don't see what it actually is doing other than just making all of these teenagers disappear and basically create a piece of equipment that he's going to be able to use to do, to control more teenagers. It just seems like this is such a small thing compared to everything else. And they've even focused on it so much less than everything else that it almost seems like now at this point, it's just like a throwaway thing. We're revealing it's the Mad Hatter. And it's going to be over in two seconds, even though this was turned into this ginormous thing, the storyline that was the only thing that really involved Red Robin and Harper Rowe. Um, I think when you said control of them, I mean, does the, does the language in this explicitly state that he made them or he simply has control of them? I don't remember. Because if he's got control of them, I can live with the fact that someone gave him control of them, but there's no way he created them, you know? Um, I, I think that what you, you talked about, about him just playing his part, I think that's what it is. And, I, and I'm giving all this what you call the benefit of doubt. Since I can't be proven wrong, I'd rather think good of the story than bad. Right? Yeah. So and I'm, he never actually did say that he created it. He's, because Red Robin does ask him, you're the one behind all of this. And he says, no, not behind. No, I'm just on top of it. Yeah. So I think he's just been given control of these. And that's how I took it because there's no way he's the, just, that's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not feasible. Um, but I think that this is another, and I think that what we're in, intentionally being done to us now, and, and this could turn out to be great, by the way. So everyone listening, don't think I'm being native. I'm not. This could turn out to be absolutely amazing is we're being given all these little pieces. And if they can take all these little side stories, because we're getting real close to the end now, right? Ten issues left, probably. Ten, eleven issues uh, if yeah. we go to 52. So if they can take all these little side stories and like any great movie or, or a great story and tie it all together and make it make perfect sense from where we did not believe that they would make sense together, then this could be a great finish. But transversely, I don't understand where Love of Peace are going right now. Um, so I'm going to hold off my total judgment. Right now there is certainly a lot of huh, but then I was thinking about this when I was reading that. Go back to your favorite Batman story, favorite long form Batman story, not a three issue one. So Hush or No Man's Land, and imagine where you were seventy nine to eighty three percent through the story. You know, yeah. you you didn't have all the answers. So I'm going, and, and the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to hope that we're this is all going to tie itself up into a bow. And it's interesting now because we're seeing the remnants of other stories that are popping up that we sort of forgot about. Like in this issue, we see. Um, Spectre, not really Spectre, but we see Corrigan, and I was trying to think about one 
Oh, Last yeah. it was, which I feel like was last month, if not beyond. But, you know, those things are hard just because it's difficult to scratch your memory and, and figure out what was going on at that point in time. But it was basically when Arkham collapsed. So it must have been in December, early December. Um, when, when Mad Hatter popped out of this, I, I didn't believe it for one second. I thought, oh, this is, this is too much to a certain extent. Just all of these twists and turns and we felt like we had an answer with Falsario, but then no, not really. You know, he was a dupe and, and all of that stuff. So I have a problem with too many twists. There's a certain extent where you can, you got shock value with one twist maybe, but multiple is, it's a little too much and then you can't follow, I think, the thread. Uh, I, I do like to hope that perhaps he is just a convenient character for the big bad. And perhaps Falsario, obviously he failed. So now the big bad needed somebody else to rein in, uh, what was going on. And so he picked Mad Hatter, who may not have, um, the necessary knowledge of nano tech, but he does know a lot about mind control in general. So it's sort of in his wheelhouse. So if that's the way we're playing it, it's a little more believable. If it turns out that Mad Hatter was all of a sudden Riddler intellect and, and knew of this stuff that was going to happen, I would call foul to, to certainly. Um, so it was just, it was weird to see this pop out of nowhere. And of course, after reading detective or rather, well, I read eternal first and then detective, but just to think about how do those two oh. stories flow together, which I guess to a certain extent, eternal, is in its own little universe, though sometimes books will pop in and out. But I feel like if we try to keep it that everything's in incontinuity with it, it does not work. And that's when our minds get hurt. <laughs> and, and for me, too, I just got to put this on the table for everyone. I can't stand the Mad Hatter, right? Like, he's the <laughs> one, like, he is the one character that I can not, I mean, my favorite thing in the world is original graphic novels, and especially ones that involve Batman family, right? I love the format. I love the idea of the original graphic novel. The only one I never bothered to purchase was through the Looking Glass, the one they did. But I can't stand the character. Well, that was a horrible story, though. I didn't, I, but I didn't read it. I didn't care. It could have been the best story ever. I wasn't going to do it. Like, I just, I can't stand the Mad Hatter. And when we're doing, we're doing three books, and two of them are the Mad Hatter. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> just had to get that off my chest. Okay, I want to pick up back. <laughs> Stella, you just said that the you know that you were bringing up continuity, and mm-hmm. as, as we all know, I'm a continuity freak. You bet I you are. I, when I so, thought, so this is the thing that I want to understand. Mm-hmm. Why is Batgirl in her Burnside costume? When did the fire happen that caused her to move to Burnside? Are we supposed to believe that it happened dead center in the middle of everything that's happening in Eternal? Because I wasn't, I didn't believe, I didn't think that was the case. I thought. The whole point of, I thought Batgirl was one of those books where everything was picking up after Eternal. Uh, Batgirl, no. It's, from my understanding, uh, from talking with the creators, it happened after the issue, uh, where Batgirl and Jason Todd have that final discussion. And he's basically talking her off the ledge again, but she decides that she can't do what she's been doing all along where she's becoming Batman, being very angry. I think it's her second confrontation with Jason, uh, with Jason Bard. It was supposed to happen after that, but the, like the, the schedule 
35 of Batgirl came out earlier than that, so that's why it doesn't make sense. Okay. But, but I think okay, it, but, you know, okay, that at least explains why she's in her new costume here, though. What I, I guess the other problem I'm having is why does she, why is she acting like a prissy bee? <laughs> she is upset. That, Every yeah. single panel that she is in up until the nanobots take her, she has a scorn on her face. Yeah. Uh, there are two options for this. One option is, and, and of course, I'm, I'm just talking because I'm, I, I like Batgirl, but you can also- That's offer why I'm asking. Oh, okay. Well, I just didn't want to take over the show. So I also, I mean, that first panel where she's super upset, I don't like it. I think the first potential answer is the fact that we've got this outsider on the team. I don't think up till now Batgirl had any interactions with Harper Row whatsoever. Whereas Robert, Red Robin's been dealing with her. Jason Todd couldn't care less, I think. And Batman, you know, he's aggrieved. So she's probably wondering what's this, why should we trust her? That's the first one. The other thing is that what's been going on in Burnside with, you know, people attacking her reputation. We've got this other person trying to take her down and using other means to do that could be getting at her. Those are my two thoughts. I don't know why. I mean, yeah, throughout the entire issue, she she has a frown on her face, which is very strange. But those are my only two explanations for it. I don't like it in either case, but that's what I thought. What do you guys think about it? My my thought was that honestly, when I saw her with the scorn on her face and the way she was acting and the dialogue that was being said, I felt as if she should be in her old costume because the way she's <laughs> acting, it comes across as that's the old Barbara, not the oh, new no. Barbara. Yep. That's why I was so confused because I was like, they're showing her in the new costume, but she's acting like she's the old character. It didn't make any sense to me. So that's that was my problem with it. She does come across as a bit territorial, doesn't she? Like... How dare they be another girl here? Um, but, but really, when you think about it, why is that? I, I don't know it, why. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why is she territorial? Like, of all things, like, she, I don't know. It just goes back to, like, all of these people just, they just, they just don't want to work together. They're all just, they just exist in this universe because somebody, you know, 30 years ago decided to put them all together and now, Anybody who writes or draws them feels like nobody should, none of these characters should be working together. Yeah, and it's funny too because when I was, I didn't read uh, Forty One till this morning, right? When I read Forty One, as soon as I saw Batgirl's new co- her new costume, the first thing I thought was, and I looked at the clock. I said, "I'm be talking about this in about three hours." You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, she did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was she- weird. And she does wear it in Batman and Robin because I remember Jason Todd before they go off to Apocalypse saying, you know, nice threads. Like he comments on that. So it's been present in other books. Has Batgirl met uh, Julia Pennyworth? I don't think so. Okay. Because that would be the judge too, how she reacts to her, who could another female if that's the way it's going or, you know, another outsider. But I guess that's a good thing. I mean, if she was wearing it in Batman and Robin, that definitively dates it after this appearance, right? Or wait, if, wait, 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 if Jason Todd, oh God, I'm about to go down the dust and rabbit hole with the string. <laughs> if, 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 if she, if Jason Todd compliments her on the new costume, wouldn't that in Batman and Robin, doesn't that mean that's the first time Jason Todd had seen the costume was in Batman and Robin, which means it takes place before this scene. That's what it should mean. Yes. Ruh, roh. <laughs> Cause a superpowered Damien could be at a lot of help right now in the turtle. No, but here's the thing. Okay, I have to I have to say this because that's not what you Stella, what you said about 
her being in her new costume. She was not in her new costume. It was not purple. It was a black costume with the, the gold cape. Like I'm, I'm looking at the book right now and she's not in her new costume. Okay. She so made some comments. I don't, I don't know what, it, I mean, like maybe it, it wasn't was in dialogue. Batman and Robin. No, Batman and Robin 35 where the three of them get together in the back cave right before they get in the mm. boom tube. She's not in her new costume. Is that even Which, worse though? Yes, that is worse because I still, remember him. We still have no idea what this is yeah. happening. Because wait, no. If you follow the clues, wouldn't her in her old costume mean that that happened before Eternal, before this time when she's in her new costume? Yeah. Maybe we'll, you know. And but here's the good thing about comics: the only way we have to fix that is at some point. Absolute versions. Just, well, absolute versions, which are great, but just at some point show that she occasionally takes the old costume out. Just to remnants and wears it occasionally, and, and that would be an easy way to fix yeah. it. Honestly, easy way to fix it. Occasionally, I still wear the old one if I'm in a bad mood. Yeah, like I want to go beat somebody up because yep. <clears throat> somebody reminded me of Gil Simone. All right. Oh dear. Fair enough. I Have do remember. Eternal. I swear, <laughs> I found the issues that I was looking for with Eternal. Twenty eight was the one where Batgirl. That one was the one that was released in October, and it should have been before. Batgirl 35, but it was after, and that was where she dropped Jason Bard off of the roof and almost kills him, and then she, like, figures out that she's gone too far, so, okay. 36, let me verify this. I just thought it'd be important since I was talking about 36 is the one where she comes, she's in her new costume, the rest of the Bat family members are around when they're on the rooftop talking to Jason Bard again, and she goes into the cave, so she meets Julia Pennyworth in that same issue. So I think the territorial issue probably shouldn't be it because that wouldn't make sense. But just so you know, she has popped up in her new issue in Batman Eternal, Eternal number 36. I just wanted it because I was talking about it. Batman Eternal number 41. I'm going to give this one a total of three out of five batterings. Uh, three and a half only because I feel like it was slightly better than the issue we just read. Three and a half out of five. Alright, so Batman Eternal number 41 gets a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Alright, so let's head over to the website. Some of the other reviews that we have over on the website. Uh, first up, uh, from Joseph, he reviewed Batman, the Jirokawada Batmanga chapter 27. He gave it five out of five. And, uh, then we have from Ryan, Batman 66 chapter 51 got two and a half out of five. And then also from Ryan, Legends of the Dark Knight chapter 84 got four and a half out of five. New Suicide Squad number six, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it two out of five. And Batman, the Jirokawada Batmanga number 28, also reviewed by Joseph. He gave it one out of five. So be sure to check out those reviews over on the website as well as other reviews, including some of the ones we mentioned during our reviews. Now it is time for listener Q&As. So, you know, I, I, you know, asked all of you to send us questions and lo and behold, we have a bunch of questions. So, uh, first off, uh, comments that were posted for episode 150. First off, Terry said, it's Friday. It's Friday. Comic cast on Friday. Thanks for my Christmas present, Dustin. Now, if you were all wondering why in the world, uh, the Friday song was on the end of episode 150, every, every two weeks, Normally, when there's an episode every two weeks, the when we post on our Facebook group that there's a new episode, 
Terry always starts chiming in about Friday, the Friday song. It's Friday, so it must be Comic Cast. Um, he went as far as when we posted episode 151 to actually change the, 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 uh, lyrics of the song to co to, to coincide with the Batman universe comic cast. So if you're not a fan of the Facebook group or you're not a member of the Facebook group, I strongly suggest you join so you can look for Terry's crazy comments regarding the Friday song and the comic cast releasing on Friday. All right. Terry also said, also just some thoughts on the issues you discussed. First, I wanted just to say that the art and detective comics number 37 was spectacular. Truly amazing. Second, it wasn't my impression that Riddler was behind everything, but had just figured out who it was. Just the way the solicitations for future issues read gives me that impression. Also, he's been leaving Batman clues like the one on the wall in Arkham Cell that Batwing and Julia decoded just before the building exploded. Lastly, what do you think about the possibility that some things got put off when they decide to do a year or two of Eternal? I don't think they would delay the payoff and conclusion from the first arc, but I do think it makes sense that they would save some story elements until later to avoid overloading is even more us even more with references. Anyways, great episode. Well, thinking back when I guess when we posted episode 150, this was right after it was Riddler popped up and it was, they, they showed him at the end of the issue. Obviously I didn't believe that Riddler was the big bad anyway. Um, my, my co-host, on the other hand, believed it was the Big Bad and that there was no time left for them to reveal a Big Bad. Um, Running us over in a truck again. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, but specifically dealing with your question about, uh, you know, do, do I think they put anything off because they're going to have a second, a second volume of Batman Eternal? I don't think so. Honestly, I feel like whatever they do for Batman Eternal, the second volume, is going to be very different from what they've done here. Now, that's not to say that uh, it's kind of hard because when you think about it, you think about how large scale Batman Eternal was, like how many different things it involved and how many different characters involved and all that. And honestly, it feels like they'd have to do something very different for it not to be just another of this, you know, Batman has to deal with a giant event. I don't, I agree. I don't think that they would delay the payoff and conclusion, but I don't feel like they're, I think this will be a self-contained story. Batman Eternal Volume 2 or Year 2 or whatever, however they're going to word it when when it releases, I feel like it's going to be a completely different story and it's going to have to be something different because it can't just be another giant thing for Batman to take out because then again, you have way too much stuff happening. You know, we, we're going to see Endgame end the same time as Eternal in March. But I do not feel like it is in, it's possible at all for them to hold off on stuff and pick it back up when they start the second volume. I don't think it is either. It's This is going to be a, a sports analogy thrown into a comic cast, but you can't punt every time. You know, like at some point you, you've got to finish up and... and uh, I get really sick of, and we see this a lot in TV and on television now, where even the end of a season ends in a cliffhanger. You know, like, at some point you gotta pay off. And after riding through Eternal for a year, and I have enjoyed it, you just gotta give me some payoff. And like Dustin said, I, I don't dislike the idea of doing another, um, weekly, you know, Batman comic, especially since the sales in the state's so good. Um, but you do give us something different. You've already done this, wrap this up, and then move on. 
I agree. I weekly comics are a tough thing to master and I don't know if Batman Eternal has mastered it. I think there are certainly some kinks to work out, but they should do something differently and I think they should also cut down on storylines and in a way it's very much like the Gotham TV series where there are just sometimes so many different stories going on. It's too much. So I think if you were to cut down a little bit, um, then, then they'd have a, a stronger, stronger story. Yeah. I think the best thing for them to do with the second volume of eternal would be do it completely different format. Do it where it's originally when they pitched eternal, it was, we're going to do, you know, a writer's going to have three or four issues to tell their story. There'll be an underlying arc that can, com- that, you know, that combines everything into one massive story. But each individual story, you know, stands by itself. And I feel like they kind of, there's a lot of spots in the run so far where that got grayed up. Where we see, you know, a writer, for example, they said certain writers were writing certain parts, like Ray Fox is writing all the supernatural stuff. But then all of a sudden Ray Fox is writing stuff that's not supernatural. Like, uh, for example, he was writing these last couple issues that had nothing supernatural in them. You know, the thing is, I would like to see it in a format where it's like, you, you write four, you have four issues by one art, uh, by, by one writer and artist. And, and the thing is, initially when they started doing this at the beginning, they did have an artist that was working with each writer, but then as time went on, and now here we are, you know, where we are at now, we have a bunch of writers who are just, you know, they're writing stuff and there's just a different artist almost every single issue there's there's no there's no connection between the art and i don't like that i I think that they should you know get it down to you know have you know if you've got five writers have five artists and you know you just get them out you, you pump them out ahead of time so that way they've got time but you still got you're still only producing one issue you know every five months and you know in in a way because you're you're doing five issues every five months so it's still the same. So I feel like what they should do is it should be like more of like a serialized story where you write a story, it, it, this, that story arc ends, and then you you continue. Not this, we're going to talk about nanobots for two issues, but then we're not going to talk about them for another, you know, 15 issues. Or we're going to focus on Stephanie Brown for two issues, but then we're not going to focus on her again for another you know, 10 issues, or we're going to focus on the Spectre and Arkham Asylum, but then we're going to drop that and we're going to pick it back up 12 issues later. That, I don't like that, that, that form of storytelling that they've been doing, like, because there's too many things going on. And like Stella said, if you drop some of them, by all means, I'm fine with that. I, I do like the scope of the story. Don't get me wrong. I love the fact that there is so much going on, but there's been so many different things that I feel like deserved more focus like red robin he hasn't been focused on very much at all and again it just adds to that that uh theory of nobody really knows what to do with the character and that's why he has such this such a small role you know and i feel like that's what's happening and i don't want that to feel like that i want to have a story that focuses on these characters and have you know four or five issues of great storytelling for one character and then move on to the next one because it's like a, a you know, a, a, a serialized story where it's basically like these four parts of this story is that is, is the first part. 
you're not going to necessarily see those characters again until later on, but what, you know, what, how it connects, it doesn't matter. I don't know. I, I don't even know if I'm explaining that correctly, but basically that's what I'd like. All right. All I was going to say is I, 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 I would prefer that because this story has bitten and I really enjoy the story overall, but if you remember the first six to nine issues that were probably very definitively planned out before they started, right? Was really good and really tight. And it seems like the farther from the starting line we've got, the more of a mess it's become. And I think if you, if you, like you said, you, you encapsulated the stories more and said that there were four issues for Arkham and then we're on to the next one, I think that would benefit the storytelling immensely. I also wonder if you dropped it from being weekly, but doing it three times a month, if that would lighten the onus on the writer and the artist. So if you want to have a consistent writing team and a consistent artist, then that way they wouldn't be fatigued and we'd have that. uh, I think that you would like Dustin. Yeah. Or even if they did the, you know, even if they did the four issues, one month, one story, if they did that, if they, if that writer goes to a different artist the next time around, it doesn't matter. The point is, get a full story arc that's drawn by the same artist. That's the biggest thing, because we saw that in the beginning. Yeah. It was something that was very relevant. I mean, Dustin yeah. Wynn was doing a storyline. We said Jason Fabic doing a storyline. There was specific artists doing storylines, and that, then, like, as it got to, like, about the halfway point, suddenly it was like, well, Fabic moved on to Justice League. You know that's a huge promotion for him. So good, good for him. Dustin went out, moved on to other projects, and then we're just left with a bunch of fill-in artists there. And I shouldn't say fill-in artists because I mean they are artists, and they're not filling in, meaning they're only doing a couple pages. They're literally doing a full issue. But it feels like nobody even made a mention. Like at the beginning, they were made such a big deal about how Fabic was going to be on Eternal. I mean, I remember when. At C2E2 year, last year, right as Eternal was starting up, Fabic was actually on the panel of the group of Batman, uh, Eternal creators that were being, that I interviewed was, Fabic was there because he was, you know, instrumental to what was being produced. And halfway through the series, he gets, he gets taken off to go to Justice League. Good for him, bad for people who are reading Eternal because it's losing its its focus. Same thing with Dustin Wynn. He did a couple stories and then he moved on to something else. And now we're, we're, we're with a bunch of other artists that nobody – they're not as big or popular and they don't even make a mention of the artist. It's like the artist is like a, it's like a second thought. Nobody cares. And I, and I don't like that. No, and the last thing I'll say about it is this. Sometimes I get the feeling, and I may be totally wrong, that there's a guy walking around the DC office going, Hey, uh, anyone know a guy that could draw Eternal 37? Like, we got nothing. I mean, yeah. I mean, it just seems like we're all, uh, and the styles don't match. Like, some of it's not even bad, but you have one artist do one and then the next doesn't, although it's the same plot, the art looks totally different and some of the side characters don't look the same and just, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I but that's what I feel like though, that like they just like grab a guy, have him draw an issue, you know? All right. So next up. Yeah. Next up, Christian says, good show as always, guys. Over the past few months, we've heard Snyder talk about how Batman's 75th anniversary, he wanted to shake up the status quo in the universe. What are your predictions for these shakeups? I would like to see Batman finally tell Gordon his secret and see a new dynamic to the relationship. Also, I would like it, I think it would be interesting to see Gordon leave the police department and join the FBI near Gotham because he's had it with the corruption in there. 
As Also, as far as the length of the show, I like the longer episodes, especially if there's a lot to talk about and just speculation is interesting. Now, I know you may not intend for to have long episodes, but I appreciate them. Also, if people don't like them, they listen They listen in chunks. That's why we have a pause button. Keep up the great work. <laughs> so, first off, Christian, I appreciate the comments about the length of the shows. Mainly, the only reason I ever have said anything about the length of the shows is for whatever reason, iTunes reviews always complain about how the show is so long. I personally, I mean, like, because I edit the show currently... You know, obviously a longer show takes longer to edit, so that's more time out of my schedule to, to, to edit the show, so it's nicer to have not as long episodes. But, I agree, if there's plenty of discussion, it's not worth curbing the discussion because, you know, of the length, but at the same time, we do try to get them to be, you know, under two hours generally. Going back to your, your initial question about, uh, what, what are our predictions for the shakeups? Well, I'm gonna say this. I think at this point, the shakeups have already occurred. I mean, whatever's going to happen in Eternal is going to be the payoff for Eternal. But I feel like the biggest shakeup that Snyder was referring to was that Gordon was not going to be the police commissioner. That's what he was referring to. That's because I remember him specifically saying, uh, Batman Eternal, you know, they want to do this massive story because it's Batman's 75th anniversary. And if they're going to do this, they want to do it. They want to go all out and have some shakeups. And I think the main shakeup that they were referring to was the fact that Gordon was no longer commissioner. Batman could not work with the police force because Gordon wasn't there. And Batman has all these other things that are, that's happening as we've seen in Eternal. Now, I don't feel like what we've seen in Snyder's run with Zero Year, I don't think we, what was, at least so far what we've seen with Endgame, I don't feel like there's really any that big of shakeups other than, I guess, like we talked about the last episode, how Joker is, is written more of a Moriarty figure to Batman, you know, as Sherlock Holmes, but that's not necessarily a shakeup. I feel like all of the stuff that he's been saying about the shakeups, I feel like everything that he's been referring to is happening in Eternal, and it's just because there's a lot of stuff happening. We haven't really seen any, like, major characters die. We haven't seen anything really major happen. Commissioner Gordon was, like, the one thing, and that happened almost right away. Mm -hmm. There's been some stuff, though. I mean, Bruce Wayne is is brokish. Yeah. You know, I mean... For now. Yeah, he's been kicked out of Wayne Manor. Um, I think that since I really don't have a clue, and I mean this in nothing but the most positive way on earth, since I have no idea what's going to happen in Endgame, honestly, I mean, I have some ideas, but I have no real idea how it's going to end. I have a feeling that the shakeup could be in, in, in Endgame. I also think that the shakeup could be what happens in Convergence that's coming up. I think that we could see a fundamental change to the way the monthly series are published, you know? And I think that that could be a big shakeup, not just to Batman universe, but the, D the DC universe as a whole. Um, but wait, explain that. What, what do you mean by the monthly format of how they're published? Well, I think what you, what there's going to be a possibility of seeing after the end of Convergence is we're going to start seeing books published from not just in the new 52. You know, I think you're going to see some books that are published pre 52 universe, uh, golden age universe, silver age. I think you're going to start seeing books published from different areas and that the new 52 is no longer going to be the only uh, ongoing continuity for DC, which means I think we should, we'll probably get at least one ongoing bat book from that's not New 52. And I think that would be a fairly major shakeup to the way that the universe is handled. I also still keep to my hypothesis that Dick Grayson somehow 
um, is under the cowl at some point at the end of Eternal, and I don't know what that means. I know that I already said, you know, could could this book survive without Batman? And I remember Dustin sending back an email from somebody that said, no, absolutely not. Um, but I do wonder, I mean, yeah, RIP has been done. And then of course with the, the final crisis and everything, but I do wonder what it would be like to have Batman out of the game for a little bit. I don't know if that's necessary. Well, Bruce Wayne out of the game for a little bit. Uh, I don't know if that means, I don't think it necessarily means killing him off, but there's so much that's been going on with him. And I think the financial has taken its toll and in end game, I think that that is really going to get to him emotionally and psychologically because of what we've seen just Joker's attacking, you know, the city. So what if he takes some time off and just goes away and then Dick Grayson comes back or, you know, someone else is under that cow. I think that there is, I I just really think that there's going to be a shift and who is going to be Batman. I think that's going to be big. I thought Dick Grayson was dead. Why does no one ever tell me these things? Well, it's Batman only trusted the knowledge of his 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 life and being alive to uh, himself and Dick. Don't so. you think that's going to be a fairly major shakeup this year, though? Possibly, Dustin is when. Listen, Dick Grayson being alive can't yeah, but, stay a secret okay, forever, okay, okay. right? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> Let's confirm f- first that the seventy fifth anniversary is over. We are now in the seventy sixth anniversary of of Batman. So eh, potatoes, potatoes. The, the stuff that's coming ahead, like okay, I will say I I will be I will have no problem saying that stuff till let's say March, you know, when all right before convergence is the official end of the seventy fifth anniversary. If you want to do it like that, because that's- it was a March book. Okay, I, I have no problem with that. Eternal ends then, Endgame ends then. You can include that stuff, but. I don't think we're going to see, like you just were about to bring up, the the fact that Dick Grayson is still alive and everybody reacting to the fact that he never told anybody. I don't think we're going to see that in the books before well, you, March. Well, you wouldn't though, right? I mean, isn't that – here Here comes your history lesson for the year, all you listeners. Was, Dustin isn't, loves the history though. Isn't bringing Dick Grayson back to the consciousness perfect because isn't this Robin's 75th year coming up? Yeah, it would be, but I don't really think that DC cares because if we see what they've done with Flash, they basically forgot about Flash. There's some variant covers. Yeah, and there's some variant covers. Yeah, I mean, I would like, in as much as you're right, I do hope that the powers that be, i.e., Snyder and the rest of the Batman writing and and drawing crews, uh, have their own make it a little more special than than what DC is planning. But I do think the fact that Endgame and Eternal both end. Still, like in the end of the fifty, the seventy fifth anniversary, I think that that could be where the big changes happen, and we just don't know what they're going to be yet. Yeah, that's true. Now, I I do have to go back. You know, Stella, you were talking about uh, Dick Grayson being Batman at the end, and I remember when we when you first talked about this, one of the the distinguishing points that you kept bringing up was the fact that we hadn't seen Batman outside the costume very much, and you know we don't. We, and they haven't referred to him as Bruce Wayne, blah, blah, blah. Now, the problem is, since we initially had that conversation, we have, we've seen him outside the costume. We've seen Batman Endgame, which takes place after Eternal. We see that it's Bruce Wayne with Julia and Alfred inside the penthouse. So, it, it there's, a, there's problems unless, of course, it happens at the end of Endgame. But, our next comment is for you, Stella. Well, it's more specifically oh. the way they put it, Earth 2 Stella. Oh, uh, interesting. John, John Mixelpick says, Earth 2 Stella, Scott Snyder and DC Comics. <laughs> okay. Mixelpick. All of a sudden, we've got a Superman fan on here. 
Earth 2 Scott Snyder mm-hmm. and DC Comics are not going to kill off Bruce Wayne at the end of Batman Eternal, and Dick Grayson <laughs> will not be taking up the mantle of Batman again. Like the Adele Dazeem song, I Ugh. guess I, I suggest you let it go. Hey, Mitzvah's Pitzelick, you need to go back to reading Superman, and you let me keep to my fan theories, just like I believe that Leslie Tompkins is the real mother of Barbara Gordon. Jeez. That's a lot right there. <laughs> that, no, no. In 20 seconds. <laughs> okay. That's because of Gotham, which is not in continuity. Oh. All right. Next comment comes from Avery. One thing that really intrigued me was that Clayface, that Clayface was on Riddler's wall, but as Stella mentioned, we haven't seen him yet. So is it possible we have seen him already, but he's assumed another personality? It made me start to think if anyone had been acting out of character or the only person that comes to mind is Selena. I'm trying to think if if I was the big bad and I had Clayface at my disposal, where would I place him in the scheme? Perhaps we've captured an imposter hush? I don't know. Just spitballing. Great job, guys and gal. Well, Avery, obviously we've we've come to see Clayface since we posted episode 150 as Clayface is with the group of villains that has just gotten all of Batman's gear. I think if they use Clayface uh, in the same in a similar way, I should say, to how Clayface was used in Batman Hush, it would have been, in some ways, kind of cheap. Uh, because, I mean, like, he was used in, he was such a like, important character, not necessarily as a character, but a important element in the story in Batman Hush, that I feel like if they did that again here, it would just be a waste. And at this point, I don't really think if they've captured, if they, because they have Hush, I don't feel like it would be an imposter Hush because as we've, we've already, it's already been revealed that Hush is not the big bad. So. And F- I know your comment is a little, I mean, like obviously we're reading this and it's like a couple weeks after the, the episode posted. So I understand where you were coming from when you listened to the episode. But at this point with the, with, with what's been revealed, I don't think it's possible. Well, you know, FYI, Red Robin's been out of character for about five years, so he has been acting strange. That could explain a lot. Maybe it's this mysterious character known five as... years. What? Five years. Red Robin's been acting weird since the New 52. It's about five years, right? That would be four in September. Oh, so I can't... Dustin count. doesn't like our math. I mean, I go from 100,000 to 150, you go... Like, the problem is you say five years, and it's only been <laughs> actually three and a half, so I'm sitting here thinking to myself... Has that like, really been it? It does yeah. seem longer, it does doesn't it? It does seem like it's been forever. <laughs> it, it does seem longer. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you're right, Clayface. I'm gonna, you know, a month ago, and that's something we talked about on one of the cast, was the fact that we had seen this kind of paralleling hush a little bit. So There are other shapeshifters, though, that they could potentially bring in. Could be other Clayfaces, for that matter. Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right, so next up, we move over to episode 151. Uh, first one's from John. John also happens to be one of the uh, new co-hosts that will be taking over Bat Books for Beginners, which should be returning sometime in the very near future, just for you to, just so you know. Um, he says, I really enjoyed listening to episode 151 and wanted to share my thoughts on the Joker. I agree with much of what you guys said about him. If the New 52, if the new 52 Joker is going to be reimagined as a Moriarty-style villain for Batman, who's who is an equal and at times superior to Batman, then everyone has to be on board. That has to be part of the show Bible, to borrow a term from television writing. Every creator has to know that it is an important characteristic of the Joker and write him accordingly. I like the idea provided that they don't take his sadistic nature away, but also keep his twisted sense of humor. My personal preference for the Joker is a man who is very smart, maybe not as smart as the Riddler, but I am okay with that, sadistic, and with a unique sense of humor. 
Dylan and I, Dylan and I will get the chance to talk about the Joker more in depth with our first episode of Bat Books for Beginners when we are covering the fourth and last volume of Batman No Man's Land. I am really looking forward to that discussion. Keep up the great work, it's John. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not, there's obviously not a question there. I mean, c- kind of commenting on what you said, we we talked about it at length of what the Joker is. I mean, honestly, you have to get to the point where. If Snyder's writing the Joker differently, then everybody else has to be matching the style that Snyder's writing. That's just the way it goes. I mean, it was... I'm trying to remember here. If I remember correctly, right before the New 52 in, I believe it was Gotham City Sirens, there was this, like, two-issue appearance of Joker coming back and he wanted to kill Harley because Harley was, you know, working with Catwoman and Poison Ivy and he wanted him all to herself if I remember correctly. And at the time, Joker was, was, uh, it didn't, it didn't fall in character. Like, it just was odd that he, this was what he was doing. It would be the same thing as, uh, that Harley Quinn issue a couple months back where her and Joker are getting married on the island. Now, obviously that was revealed to be a, a uh, an entirely, you know, dream sequence. But it would be the same thing if that happened now. Like, it doesn't come across that this Joker that exists would even work with Harley. Based off of what we see in Harley Quinn's book, it doesn't match the Joker that we see in Scott Snyder's run. So, I mean, the problem is that everybody's going to have different interpretations of characters. But when you have a character, the, pro- the, f- the thing that I feel is, when the New 52 started, DC did have a show Bible. And it was, here's the character, this is what we do with the character, these are the characteristics of the character, this is how they look, blah, blah, blah. And then the New 52 happened and everyone was like, what? We're completely wiping it clean, you can do the characters however you want. Snyder took it upon himself to basically reinvent the Joker in a different version. And that's why I feel like Death of the Family, I didn't like that story nearly as much as you know, I, as, as a lot of other people, because I wasn't looking at it from the perspective of this is a different Joker. I was looking at it from the perspective of this is the Joker that I've always seen. And he's acting extremely different than anything we've ever seen before. I, I do think that what he says here is important though. And, and I think the most important thing about, and again, I'm totally open with changes and I'm, and I vastly prefer this version of the Joker that we have now. But the, the point about the Bible is, is a good way to put it. If you're going to have him, vastly different in this story he has to be vastly different everywhere um and to me that is basic editorial 101 so yeah i totally agree all right next from terry he says great episode guys just two quick comments first i totally agree with stella on batman annual <gasps> oh. i absolutely love the story into both the kind of madness the joker has and the kind of madness he can inspire in others Second, one thing that I was surprised you didn't talk about was the cover of Batman Eternal number 39, which featured a certain animal, namely an owl, very prominently and suggestively. And while in rereading the issue a few times, I don't see any particular significance in the pages of that week's story, there is still an unexplained owl in the Bats Giving issue as, uh, not issue, but Bats Giving uh, promo art. Uh, as well. Can't help but wonder if this means the Corvallis will be still involved in some way, particularly since we know from the first issue of Endgame and Batman that Bruce has taken up shop in one of the old owl nests in Gotham since he isn't in the Batcave right now. Anyway, thanks for a great episode, and I'm looking forward to another exciting new year with TBU. Alright, so 
I didn't bring up, I will say this, okay, I didn't, I, I, there was some comments on the, the website to, uh, the review of Eternal 39 about the owl on the cover as well. And I have to say, the reason I didn't bring up the owl on the cover, well, outside of the fact that I never really talk about the covers hardly ever, I didn't bring up the owl because, like you said, there was no inclination of anything that was talked about inside the issue that was to hint that it was, that the, the, that the court was involved in that issue. So that's why I didn't bring it up. The, the covers, in some ways, I feel like sometimes they just exist and they don't necessarily have to do with what's the contents of inside the story. Now, Eternal has actually done a pretty decent job of having the, the, the covers somewhat match at least what's inside, but there's other comics that you feel like it doesn't make any sense of why certain things are the way they are. But, that being said, I said a, a couple episodes ago that I still think that the Court of Owls is somehow behind this. I just don't know who the big bad one person could be that is standing there when, when, uh, you know, Batman's chained to the bat signal. I just don't see who that could be because unless, of course, it's Lincoln March, doesn't explain the glasses, but again, there's a bunch of different small little things you gotta, you gotta suspend disbelief, you just, suspend belief on to, to understand how, some of this stuff. So that's my thoughts. Listen, uh, <laughs> this is a pet peeve of mine for years. And this is, you know, I obviously have some very strange thoughts of what's going on at the DC offices, but you can't trust covers. You just can't, man. I mean, they put stuff on covers to intentionally to, to mislead you. They put covers, they some cup to get you to, to people to, to buy the issue. And sometimes stuff is put on covers just because it looks cool on the cover. Um, again, I have this kind of, you know, Perry White thought of a, of a guy standing there like, put an owl on the cover. It'll sell, you know, but I don't, there's nothing in the, in the issue at all about an owl. So unless they just put an owl that had nothing to do with the quarter owls, or maybe this cover was made and they made changes to the story and took the owls out of it. Uh, I don't, you know, again, there is, you would think an owl on the cover in, in a Batman book, which has teased owls before, um, you would think would have something to do with it, but I don't. I didn't see anything at all. First, thanks for agreeing with me. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, so I appreciate it. <laughs> Secondly, I I think back, I think it was a Batman and Robin issue near the beginning of the New 52. And remember it had a, a picture of Red Robin on it? Maybe it was a Batman issue. But do you remember it had a picture yes. of Red Robin and Red Robin was nowhere in the issue? Yes. Yes. That's the only thing. I, I think it could be a tease, uh, depending on how obvious or what, you know, do you, uh, but, you know, it's it certainly, uh, it's, it's a good thought, but is it too much of a tease? The thing is, if you look at the cover, the cover is showing an owl who's white on a branch near snow. Obviously the issue had snow. Yeah. I mean, could there have been an owl somewhere in the forest where Batman went up to get Riddler? I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, I feel like it is trying to hint at the Court of Owls. If the Court of Owls ends up not being involved in any way, shape, or form, and basically that Bat's giving uh, promo art that showed an owl sitting in a tree, that the only reference to the owl is the owl that was on this cover. That would be kind of crappy. But I don't (laughs) feel like... Yeah, that would be really bad. I don't feel like that's the case. I feel like there is going to be something that has the court. I mean, like, the court could be behind it a lot of different things. It just... You have to narrow it down because, like, I, I, I feel like the Riddler has said also that he knows who it is who's behind it. Knows who it is, not who 
they are. So I feel like it's going to be one person. Maybe it is the court. Maybe it is Lincoln March. I mean, that's honestly it's getting to the point where I can't think of who else it could be where they still involve the court somehow between now and the, the you know, the next 11 issues because there's 52 issues of the series. I can't see how they're going to involve the court and not have Lincoln March involved. But at the same time, I feel like why would Court of Owls want to destroy Gotham the way they are? It just, it doesn't fall in line with what I guess their principles are. But, you know, again, I, I mean, uh, I don't think we really know. And I'll tell you what though, if, if at the end of this, the, someone actually put, well, we put an owl on a cover once, that would be, yeah. Well, it has to do something because, I mean, we saw Batman Endgame. He is inside of, you know, an old owl's nest. So that's his new Batcave. He's in an owl's nest, you know. So obviously that's going to happen at some point. But something's going to happen. All right. Next, next comment comes from Ryan. He says, awesome episode. Just wanted to throw in some clarification on this past month's issue of Justice League. When I was reading it, it seemed that Superman, or maybe it was Batman, offered up a reason behind Patient Zero's Batwings. I believe he reasoned that Patient Zero was attempting biologically to recreate the powers he was seeing. Therefore, the only way he could replicate Superman's flight was to alter his own DNA and grow wings. Otherwise, another awesome episode. Keep up the good work. So, I mean, that's entirely possible. I I didn't put too much stock into what we were saying. I mean, I was just basically saying I couldn't understand why, you know, what I think the main discussion we were trying to have was what power does Patient Zero get from Batman? And I guess if you want to combine the wings to get flight and you just look like Batman, sure. What he said just made more sense than anything I came up with. So, good job. Had a boy. I had no idea. I, I, didn't make sense to me at all. The, the whole thing did. So with that, that is all of our listener Q and A's. A great bunch of questions. Keep those questions coming on this episode and the next episode, and then we will cover all those questions in two episodes. That would be episode one fifty four. Is the next time we will cover listener Q and A's. But a great group of questions. Keep them coming. We love discussing them. Obviously, uh, we we've been at this for almost as long as we were reviewing comics. So. The better the questions and the more discussion, I'm sure you guys want to hear us discuss things, so keep those questions coming. All right, so with that, that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest regarding movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer on the website. Also, be sure to leave us comments on this episode so that we can talk about those in two episodes. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, as well as join our Facebook group, chat with other Bat fans. Also, leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. Also, in addition to that, uh, like I said last episode, we're still looking for a, co- uh, a couple people to review some of the few remaining books that we have uh, left. Uh, be sure to, if you're interested in that or reporting any of the news, we have had some new additions to the site, and you'll start to see some uh, news pop back up on the website. But uh, we're still looking for plenty of other people, specifically with merchandise and uh, all the other sections, but specifically merchandise because we've been lacking in that more recently. But if you're interested in any of those, be sure to let us know. Head over to the website, look for the banner on the side of the page that says, We want you for TBU, and it'll tell us exactly It'll tell you exactly how to get in touch with us. Outside of that, that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Mm-hmm.